universe. The Matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. They don't have to like it, but they're gonna see what happens. Goodbye, wimps. And now, without further ado, from Albert Shivers. The general concept the general is that creativity flourishes in an in a atmosphere of freedom. Hello, folks, and welcome to the next episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am and always will be Albert Shivers, and this is episode 74 with Don Wilson. Don is back on the podcast. He is the exceptional artist who is a big recurring guest on the podcast and grandfather to my Ed McMahon, Isaac. On this episode, Isaac and I talk with Don Wilson about psychedelics in the 1960s. We start off the conversation talking about the art scene in Long Beach where Don was living at the time. And a couple of things about the greater California area because Don traveled around a little bit also. Some news on Don Wilson. He just completed a mural for the Nurture Nature Center in Easton. Um, There's a short YouTube video about that. I'm going to try to remember to put that link in the description so you all can go check out his new mural. It came out fantastic. Um, I hung around with Don while he was working on it and got to see his step-by-step process. The mural is very big. It's three panels, and it came out fantastic. So you guys should definitely go check that out. Also, a quick little shameless plug. In your downtime, don't forget to go check out my new website, www.albertshivers.com. It's that easy. You can go check it out. You'll find everything that I'm doing. You can find my art there, my films there, as well as all the new podcast updates. It's all there in one spot. You don't have to go a million different places. It's just one place, www.albertshivers.com. That's enough out of me. Let's get to my conversation with Don and Isaac. Was the art scene then at that time very underground or was it starting to come more into the mainstream? What was the scene like at that time? Well, a lot of artists were making uh, money making posters uh, advertising uh, different musical groups. Um, I didn't get directly involved in that myself, but um, many of the groups that I, when I had time to go to see a concert, wherever it was in Los Angeles or Long Beach, there were usually smaller groups that maybe existed for three or four years, but never really made it you know, big time, as they mm-hmm. say. Um, Grateful Dead was one of those groups that evolved and became what yeah. they became. Uh, the Doors mm-hmm. uh, were in that area. Um, John Joplin, I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I say, yeah, it was definitely uh, underground because there was a, a lot of traffic back and forth between San Francisco and Los Angeles, Long Beach area. Um, it was easy at that time to hitchhike from one city to the other. Um, about how far apart were they? They're about 400 miles apart. Okay. But it was fairly easy to get 
a ride. If you went up the Coast Highway, which is Route 1, that gets a little hairy because it's a very narrow, dangerous road mm. about halfway up. Mm-hmm. And so you had to be careful who you got a ride with there <laughs> if they weren't uh, like thinking they were in a road race somewhere. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there was uh, poster, poster art in general was uh, revived very much, of course, like the Art Nouveau mo- movement, which mm-hmm. was in Europe. Uh, during the Victorian period. So, yeah, it was a regeneration of that style of work, mm-hmm. and that was prevalent everywhere. Um, wasn't the only thing, obviously. Corporations didn't use it, right. or TV advertisers didn't use it, mm-hmm. but it was uh, very typically used, uh, even for campus groups that were advertising uh, the meeting of a club, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, they would use that style of work. So it became, it became mainstream at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd have to say, um, yeah, it, it was it was everywhere, um, especially in the parks. You would see it in the parks where you would enter. There'd be a kiosk where you could put up uh, notices or posters mm-hmm. about upcoming events. So. Um, and a lot of the concerts <clears throat> were free, and um, I think that carry a transfer to the visual arts too. Like people would think, oh, well, these people are playing for free in the park, they're not charging anything. <clears throat> As a visual artist, why, if I make copies, why shouldn't I just give my, my work away? And there's a lot of controversy, again, mm-hmm. about, um, about um, LSD uh, and its proliferation in the 1960s, especially, and, and onward. Um, that was really readily available. I, I found that out in, uh, let's say, outdoor concerts mm-hmm. in parks. There'd be people walking around saying, you know, uh, I've got you know, yellow sunshine here. You want to try some of this? Right. Or, uh, hey, I got blue dot. You've got to try, try some of this. You'll enjoy mm-hmm. the music more, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of uh, the conspiracy theorists say that that was promoted by central intelligence or the government mm-hmm. to, uh, in a way, disarm people who might be really uh, at the forefront of trying to end the war or trying to uh, achieve wider rights for minorities, let's say, be it voting or job promotion right. uh, or housing, you know, where they wouldn't be discriminated against. So. In, in, a, in a sense, there may be some truth to that because, uh, and to take that, you would have had to have known somebody that also had taken the same right. thing to even want to try it because you don't know. You don't know who this person is or what yeah. this is. But um, I think there may be some truth to that, that uh, it, it would sidetrack people, not destroy them, but change their focus to their partner or their family or whatever was more personal to them mm. and not something over here that they couldn't control necessarily. Right. Um, and of course, then, of course, at some point, I, that was interesting. I felt that around 1967 and 68. And then it's like, this is a terrible analogy. Now I won't even use it. Towards 68, you saw more people selling the same product. Mm-hmm. was no longer free. It was okay. being sold. Right. So it was like getting people uh, uh, accustomed to, to having it available and using right. it for creative purposes, hopefully. Uh, but now now you got to pay $10 for it. 
mm-hmm. or 15 or 20, whatever. So, yeah. So that was interesting. And I, I did experiment with that, and it did change my uh, approach to art because it, it certainly made me very aware that I'm just one little, you know, corpuscle in this vast, yeah. you know, the cosmic sea. We're all here, mm-hmm. and we're all interrelating with each other. And uh, I, I felt that it was very important to try to somehow uh, transpose that experience into a format. I could I wrote about it too. Mm-hmm. I did write about it, and I, I did. I didn't fancy myself to be a poet or anything like that, but I, I enjoyed writing about it also. Um, but mainly through through uh, the drawings I mentioned, the pen and ink drawings. There was a series that I think related specifically to that, and then it was carried over into paintings a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it was important. I don't regret doing that. Um, you do have to be cautious. Right. In experimenting with any kind of mall, uh, uh, medicine or plant, whatever it might be, manufactured product, whatever it might be that will uh, alter your perceptions in some way, there's always a caveat of place and time and your your mental status at that mm-hmm. that moment, your emotional makeup at that moment, that all has to be uh, taken into account. Or should they? Right. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. Should they? To err on the side of uh, caution. Hmm. Do you feel it was a, um, a, was it a temporary effect on your visual art? Or did anything come of it that stayed with you as you made art in the future? That's a good question. Like I mentioned about the artist Leo Russell, who did the, the, tr- the, the self-screen of mm-hmm. uh, the man on the bike with the big bag with all his experiences on his back mm-hmm. and the title being, you know, I carry my yesterdays with me. Uh, something like that, which I just described, um, that is a, that's a gut uh, emotion and experience that uh, fades with time, let's say, yeah if you don't go back to it, right. the actual substance. Mm-hmm. But the experience of it uh, does carry, at least with me, it's it stayed. And uh, not that I think about it, but right. uh, it's just like a painting. It's You're building on the experiences of your life. And uh, it's an additive, an additive, not an addictive, but an additive uh, fact of life that uh, you, you can reach for that and remember it and uh, employ it in whatever mm-hmm. you're doing. You know, music, dancing. Yeah. Wake up for That's good. I, I feel like the number one thing about any of, any of that is to n- kind of know what you're going into and have it be your choice. Yes, and right, I, right. I say that only mm-hmm. from my experience of being given I was at a concert in San Francisco mm-hmm. Grateful Dead related show mm-hmm. this is probably like 2011 or 12 mm-hmm. when I was into that sort of th- music oh. and sort of thing mm-hmm. before I really delved into jazz which was mm-hmm. a whole other world mm-hmm. but um, um, I was with a group of people most of which I didn't know I actually mm-hmm. only knew one a buddy of mine Okay. and um, 
went to the show. One of the members of our group, this girl, offered me a bottle of water. Uh. And I just, a combination of being hot and thirsty in a warm venue and naivete, too. Yeah, and trusting. And trust, yeah. yeah. Um, she, and she presented it as water. So I, I took, I drank it <laughs> like it was water, you know? Wow. And um, it did mm-hmm. not take long yeah. for just everything mm-hmm. to start to happen. Wow. And um, I was mm-hmm. lucky enough to be able to hold on to my wits yeah. and know what happened right. enough wow. to, this was it, they, they built a new Bill Graham auditorium in San mm-hmm. Francisco right. where the hallway goes around it, okay? Yeah. And um, I knew, because I remember the exit signs to the hallway were green. And on Mm -hmm. the way in, I commented to myself, that's weird, they're usually red. Why are they green? And I didn't think anything else of it. And then, now here I am tripping, and I'm like, you have to get to the hallway. You're around all these people, and it's you don't want to be around all these people. So I just seen, like, green blurs, and that the old me remembered, okay, that's the hallway, get out there. Mm -hmm. So I had to... We, you know, weave my way through a crowd of people that I wasn't even able to see. You know, it was right. all silhouettes in the light. Yeah. Get out in the hallway and got food and water and was able to find a seat and ride it out. Yeah. But um, what I found out later, and I'm shortening the story a lot, but I found mm-hmm. out the next day is that it was some sort of experimental chemical that was being passed around the show, oh, and another God. member of our group. Oh was got was having seizures oh. from the same thing. Well, you know what? This makes me wonder when you say it was an experimental chemical, was that uh like a more um orchestrated thing? You know, like where did that come from? Yeah. Like is somebody testing out drugs on a population and yeah, that's like how the, they're doing it? Yeah, yeah who the, who knows? The promo- the promoter perhaps or yeah. maybe a, just a member of the the audience. Yeah, because like I'm pretty sure that this girl didn't have. Maybe she I'm pretty didn't sure know. she didn't have she it didn't when we went it. in. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Um, oh. I don't because truthfully, it happened. I found a seat. I wrote it out. I watched the rest of the concert and um, was fine. Yeah. We were staying in a hostel in San Francisco at that time, mm-hmm. called the Casa Loma. Motel or hotel. Mm. I have no recollection of what got me from the show. Oh, yeah. To, I woke yeah. up the next morning. I was like, okay, wow. well, I made it back. Wow. That's good. Yeah, I knew somebody who, who did that. Um, and I didn't agree with him. And I told him that uh, he, for a while, he was uh, selling LSD. And I went with him. He asked me to go with him to this biker bar. Because I think I looked a little more respectable in his <laughs> eyes than you know to the general public than mm-hmm. he did. So, <clears throat> but he would, he got a number of people in the bar uh, under the influence, as you just described. We don't you, so you'll never know what that was exactly. Right. All right. And he would start talking with one of the bikers, and and the guy would look away at the dancing, you know. The woman was dancing mm-hmm. up on the on the pole or at the TV screen. He would drop a tablet into their drink, into their mm. beer, and uh, it would dissolve. And uh, 
they would get quite high and uh, he was there to explain to them what was happening and he got a number of regular customers that way mm -hmm. uh, you know afterwards when we got out because I knew him for a couple of years and he uh, I said you know that's not really I don't think that's the way to go about doing that I think you need yeah. to talk with people <laughs> and explain totally not yeah oh no I no I totally disagree with him but uh knowing what he was doing and having experienced mm -hmm. that um yeah that's that was wrong but uh you know we're all different and uh he figured these people are very hardened motorcycle people and they're used to all kinds of stuff so they, and you were very strong for handling what you just described as you did, did you have because any that that can be very disorienting yeah and, uh, well what, you did the right thing. Right. And to kind of answer both your questions, when it first hit, um, the band had just come out, and I'm watching um, the lead guitar, or uh, rhythm guitar player, right. and this won't come across on the recording, but like his hand is strumming the guitar like this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's weird. I wonder why he's doing that. <laughs> and um, one by one, like the people started to trail on stage. Like what's happening? What what kind of light design is this? It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You see an after image of the people. Right, and it wasn't clicking. Yeah. Until wow. around me, like so, the stage is lit. And you were watching the other people around you. And then I started to watch the people standing with me, and I yeah. couldn't. I literally could not see them. Wow. I seen like the silhouette presented by the stage lights, but that yeah. was it. Yeah. So mm. the friend of mine who was from PA who came with me mm -hmm. um, I went trying to find him to tell him like something's happening and I'm yeah, gonna try right, to leave right, right. you needed if, an answer to if you that. need to find me I'm leaving so yes. I told somebody I don't know who it was somebody I told like somebody who I called Dave in that moment was like right, I'm right. leaving I hope this is you see right. ya mm. and um if I, I don't know for sure if I like anything stayed with me or I had any like long-term repercussions, but mm -hmm. I feel like something, something's different. Yeah. That stayed with you? Something, something funky, some wire got frayed mm -hmm. somewhere mm -hmm. in my mind that isn't mm -hmm. quite, like it's not mm -hmm. anything that is life-changing or Still, is it's a detriment day. but there's just something where after that was over and I come back home and was got back to normal normalcy something was never quite right yeah the doors of perception by Aldous Huxley he, he said um, you know if we cl properly clean the doors of perception we will see um, reality as it is infinite mm -hmm. and any substance, whether it's ayahuasca or beer or wine or LSD yeah. or whatever, Mother Nature, it's it's just a trigger. It's a trigger that opens up that door, right. and we can see out of it. And we can't rely on it. It's not meant that we rely on it. People use meditation to reach that consciousness or understanding. So it's not something we should rely on, but it's... Uh, mechanical way of getting to seeing that um, that type of vibration or level of uh, vision 
that we don't normally perceive with the five or six senses. Right. Uh, it's there all the time. That's enough to know that. Mm -hmm. And there's other ways we can find that are less potentially harmful mm -hmm. or addictive. Yeah. Nicotine's supposed to be, what, the most addictive substance, right? Which is why tobacco well, companies still fighting tooth and nail. They're going to e-cigarettes and all this crap. Yeah. It's the same companies. They're just trying to switch gears and mm -hmm. keep people hooked. Mm -hmm. you know? But, uh, yeah, Medi meditation is a way to achieve that. Um, playing music, dancing. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a state of euphoria, really, where you are just uh, firing on all cylinders, as it were, and mm -hmm. being aware of uh, your surroundings and the people around you and the flowers and the cars and the odors, mm -hmm. the sounds, feelings. So that's how it felt to you. Say that again? That's how it felt to you, being in an altered state of awareness, when you used LSD, for instance. Yeah, I would, I would say that. I think, I think it's partly a cultural thing and partly conditioning that we don't look beyond where we might look, because we're just, we're seeing this bowl of grapes. Well, what is that really? Um, and this right here, and the salt lamp over there. Um, you might see the mechanics of that. That looks like a very natural form. Mm. But if you're under the influence like that, you might see the intricacy of the inside of it. You might see it as a as an actual torch, a physical torch that somebody is carrying. Um, you might see it as a light that's pointing you on your way home to some place that you want to go. Um, we generally just look over, oh, the salt lamp, it's on. Mm -hmm. Don't think about it too much. Um, it, it just, uh, to me, it just uh, super amplified all the senses mm. and uh, the situation that I was in, whatever it might be. And uh, it could be ecstasy, it could be hell, yeah. know, depending on where you are and uh, what you're doing and who you're with. WVFW, Brooklyn, New York. Do you have a problem? Thank you. The problem? Solvers. Taxes got you down. Wasp in your crawl space. Term paper blues. Migrating implants. Call the problem solvers. Cause after all, what's a problem but an opportunity to disguise as a stripper having a seizure on your boat? Mouse in your house. Or need a cheap flight to Tucson. We are the problem solvers. One of the eerie experiences I had was, uh, we were talking about the senses and hearing. I, I had taken some LSD over at a friend's house down by the ocean, and it, it was a, it was in the winter, and it was a very foggy night, and I had walked there. It was, I was about 10 blocks from where I lived, and so I went outside, and um, you could see about maybe three feet ahead of you, mm -hmm. and so I knew kind of what direction I had to go, and... Um, it was just very strange because 
your hearing is so amplified, partly because it's your main way of navigating, and also because sound carries in the fog. Mm -hmm. It just really, it, right. and you start after a while, after a block or so, you start to realize the direction and source of a sound, and probably if it's 50 feet or 100 feet from you or 10 feet, you start to uh, get a sense of that. Um, and I remember getting about three blocks, and these are major high streets too with lights. So you cannot see the light, right? You look wow. up, red light, green light, doesn't matter. You can't see it. But you can hear the light changing. You can hear it going click, 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 right. it stops. And then, but cars were going by. Apparently they could see, I couldn't, walking. They had headlights and I guess that helped. But uh, so I, I just remember like somebody, you're walking normally on a, on a walkway, pathway, sidewalk, whatever or in a road, you see people coming at you and you're, you're ready to encounter with them or not, or to say hi or not. But in this situation, their face just suddenly pops out of like two feet in front of you all of a sudden. Wow. And it's, it's like being, I, I don't know, there's nothing, there was nothing like that experience I've ever had. And uh, I finally made it back to within two or three blocks of my house <clears throat> and I, cars, the, the sounds of machines and cars are like 10 times what, to me, what you right. would normally hear them as being. The decibels were that much more intense. And I remember hearing this one, a car pulled up alongside me. I didn't see the car. I heard it. I could, mm -hmm. I could hear the engine idling. So I remember walking over and kind of looking down at it, and I couldn't see anything. And then the window came down, rolled down. And it was a policeman looking up at me. You know, I saw his badge number and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He was kind of like looking at me, trying to figure out what I was or who I was <laughs> or whether I was being disorderly or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember just, I just sort of waved at him very slowly and just went on. Right. And it was fog, so yeah. foggy, they weren't going to try to make a U-turn or whatever. Right. But it was just very bizarre. And uh, it's like kind of being in a fishbowl of... Uh, Hmm. with a million clear marbles in it or something, trying to peer through it. Yeah. Trying to peer through all the moisture of all molecules. What, what percent of that was you being under the influence of LSD, and what percent of that was the... Oh, oh, normally, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a really good question. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's a whole different thing driving a car in a, in a really thick fog than walking. You have a lot more options, and you can be, you know, a little more secure. Um, I could have stopped for half an hour and just stood there and listened. I could hear people coming or whatever. In a car, you can't do that if you're driving. If you stop at a light right. in a fog, somebody's going to run into the back of you, you know. So, oh, yeah, it was, it was a whole different point of reference. I had to use my hearing totally mm -hmm. to, to get back. Vision was like, whatever. I, I knew which direction that was the main thing. I had to keep going straight. And, uh, but, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I, I've told Mary this story. I'll just repeat it. I, I under the same circumstances, mm -hmm. I went swimming up by north of Santa Barbara somewhere. I went with some friends who we were swimming, and I started to believe that I was like a... Um, a seal or a sea lion, um, and 
I actually started munching on some kelp. I was mm-hmm. like swimming mm-hmm. on my back and nibbling kelp. And I was out there for a couple of hours, and then mm. uh, somebody reminded me that it was uh, probably a good time to come <laughs> in and you know dry right. off a little bit. Mm. Don't drift too far out to in the ocean, right. you know. But uh, yeah, that's part of that's part of one of the drawings that I did in, in that series. And, uh, far worse than that, I think, is somebody in control of a motor vehicle or a boat who's completely drunk. Yeah. Because I had that experience where I was out with seven or eight people on a fishing boat, and I knew the partner of this man. His name was Eddie, the the pilot, and. Uh, we went out about, it was south of San Francisco a little bit, we went out about seven or eight miles, and then as it often happens in that area, a fog came in, uh, a front with rain and so forth, and he had been he had been drinking so much, I was watching him, I was getting a little bit worried before this all happened, and then once the ocean got really choppy, and he got disoriented, he didn't have a, he didn't have, I don't, I don't remember him having a compass on the boat, it was about a 30-foot boat, mm-hmm. but uh, I, re- I remembered, and somebody else remembered, the basic direction that the shore was in, and um, we convinced them to go that way, because he, he was completely disoriented, and, uh, you know, the waves were coming over the edge of, you know, mm-hmm. the gunwale of the boat, and uh, it was getting a little dicey, and um, we convinced them to, to turn and, and head back in right. the right direction, so that was... We made it to the dock, but again, it wasn't foggy like what I described previously. Mm-hmm. That was the worst fog I've ever been in in my life. Um, uh, yeah, despite like, you know yeah. it, whether it was you know under the influence or not, it was it was the worst fog I ever mm. had to go through. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, so many things are promoted in uh, at least in our our society that are that are negative uh, have negative impacts. Mm-hmm. You know, be it alcohol or nicotine. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Plant Shivers podcast. I want to thank Don for coming on and doing another great episode. I want to thank Isaac for helping out as usual. And don't forget, you can find this episode of the Plant Shivers podcast and all the other episodes on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. And don't forget, you can find information about the podcasts, what's cooking with my art, and my film work on my Instagram at Albert Shivers or simply go to www.albertshivers.com. Thank you all again for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode. And until then, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.